This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you and welcome to the show. Sam Spade is a fictional character and the protagonist of Dashiell Hammett's 1930 novel, The Maltese Falcon. Spade combines several features of previous detectives, most notably his detached demeanor, his keen eye for detail, and unflinching determination to achieve his own justice. Spade was a new character created specifically by Hammett for The Maltese Falcon. He had not appeared in any of Hammett's previous stories. And Hammett says about him, and I quote, Spade has no original. He's a dream man in the sense that he is what most of the private detectives I work with would like to have been and in their cockier moments thought they approached. For your private detective does not or did not ten years ago when he was my colleague want to be an erudite solver of riddles in the Sherlock Holmes manner. He wants to be a hard and shifty fellow, able to take care of himself in any situation, able to get the best of anybody that he comes in contact, whether criminal, innocent bystander, or client, (laughs) unquote. From the 1940s onward, the character became closely associated with actor Humphrey Bogart, who played Spade in the third and best-known film version of The Maltese Falcon. Although Bogart's slight frame, dark features, and no-nonsense depiction contrasted with Hammett's vision of Spade, blonde, well-built, and mischievous, his sardonic uh, portrayal was well-received and is generally regarded as an influence on both film noir and the genre's archetypical private detective. Spade was a Sunday night thriller for Wild Root Cream Oil, starring Howard Duff in the title role until 1949, and with Duff's departure, NBC took the series, leaving it on Sundays for Wild Root, starring Stephen Dunn as Spade. Now here's the episode, The Caper Over My Dead Body. In response to requests representing millions of listening friends, the National Broadcasting Company is pleased indeed to bring you again The Adventures of Sam Spade, Detective. Hello? Me, sweet... What number have I got? The Sam Spade Detective Agency, but... Oh, oh, well, me, sweetheart. Something's happened. Call me later, Dwight. The white check. Look. I didn't know you. You were in town. You didn't write to me or... Effie, Effie. Yes? This is me in the flesh, Sammy the Spade. Oh, oh now what? Goodbye. Effie, I'm in a payphone. My nickel is running out. Oh, Dwight, how can you be so cruel and play jokes at a time like this? Wait, wait, listen. Well, are you listening? Yes. I am not dead. Don't believe everything you read in the papers. Huh? Or here on the radio. Yes. You were at my funeral. Is that what you were about to say? Yes. And it was lovely. Don't believe that either. Stay right where you are, sweetheart, because I'll be there, alive and handsomer than ever. 
with an account of a caper which proves you can kill some of the people part of the time. My exaggerated report on the death of Sam Spade. NBC welcomes back to the air a character who has captured the public imagination more completely than any other since the birth of Sherlock Holmes. William Spear, radio's outstanding producer-director of mystery and crime drama, brings you the greatest private detective of them all in The Adventures of Sam Spade. Ain't it grand to be blooming well dead? Candles at my feet, candles I'm at my head. we're not open for business today. I mean, Mr. Spade's office is closed right now because... Because... I'll wait. I'll wait. Oh, you look just like Mr. Spade. What's your name? Spade. S-P-A-D-E. Spade. Sam never told me he had a twin brother. He doesn't. But then you... I'm me, Sam. Oh, no, you... Oh, wait. Come here. Mm-hmm. Now, do you believe me? Well, I, I don't know why. Oh, what's the use? Oh, oh you're so much like him. Oh, oh never I... mind, never mind. Now, get your pencil and paper and take it. Date, November 17th, 1950. To Miss Effie Perry. That's me. From Samuel Spade. That's me. License number 137596. You must have been the last one to see him alive. Did he tell you to give me a message? Shut up. Subject, my death. Dear Effie, since the sight of me in the flesh, breathing, hungering, and living doesn't convince you, maybe this report will. Think, if you can, back to last Monday. Now, if you recall, it was about 11 o'clock when on the flimsy pretense that we needed stamps for the office, you drew $2 from petty cash and stepped out to buy a pair of step-ins. And that's when my client materialized. He was small and thin and carried with him the unmistakable odor of stale flowers. His black alpaca suit, string bow tie, elevator shoes, and white gloves had no bearing on his conversation. Oh, dear. My name is Chester Swan. Are you sure? Y- yes. And my name is Spade. What can I do for How you? How tall are you, Mr. Spade? Six feet in my feet. Wait. 178. I always notice a man's bone structure, don't you? Oh, always. Open. But... Huh? Open. Let me see inside. Oh, oh. Uh, I guess? Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Fine. Oh, well, now that you know me this well, Mr. Swan, what can I do for you? Oh, dear. Perhaps I... Perhaps I shouldn't have come here at all. I'm, I'm sorry, Mr. Spade. Well, really? Oh, dear. Oh, hello again, Mr. Swan. You wanted to talk to me? Yes, but I, 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 I can't talk now. Uh, Mr. Spade. Still here. There. I, I live at 8516 Claremont in Berkeley. I'll be there tonight. Oh, dear. This time, as he made his exit, he left $50 on the edge of my desk. And so, stupid me, I was at 8516 Claremont at the close of the day. It was a small white cottage with green shutters and a white picket fence. There was a hill in back and a brook in front. The sun was beginning to set on it, and it was all very picturesque. In fact, so much so that a girl with red hair, blue jeans, purple smock, oils, and canvas was making it immortal. She liked me immediately. Here, hold this. Certainly. Like it? Oh, yeah. This is my first landscape. I'm a sprouting artist. Obvious. Makes your own? Not when I can get somebody to do it for me. Who are you? Oh, I might be a fellow artist. Don't do that. You're a liar. You're Sam Spade. I saw your picture in a newspaper clipping when I was helping Chester clean out his desk before he moved it. Mm, but I... You don't know an easel from a palace. Oh, but I could learn. I take it seriously. Well, then so do I. I doubt it. 
You've never tried to get away, to stand off, to throw off the shackles, have you? No, no, I'll have to admit that the urgency of living, the pressure of merely existing, has had a... Catfish, Sam. By the way, I'm Amy Goodrich. Catfish? The world is full of unhappy people who never try to get away from it all. Well, honestly... Stop it. But I wanted to, really. Honestly, Sam, get away from everything. Leave, dissolve. I've dreamed of it. Never return. Cross my heart. Mm -hmm. What are you doing here? To see Mr. Swan. He isn't home yet. His house is a wonderful subject. Look, Sam, colorful, moderate, pleasant. Mm -hmm. That is until the sun stops shining. But picture it at night in the fog. Mm -hmm. Crushed with barrenness, full of death, brooding, ominous. I'm trying to capture that, too. It's what we've got to get away from, isn't it? Absolutely. You and I... Sam... As you start up the hill on Claremont, there's a green apartment house on the right. I'm in 420. Well, maybe we'll find a way out together. Maybe. I waved her a fond farewell and sat on the steps of my client's house until he showed up at 615. He took me inside where the only furniture was an army cot and a portable barbecue. I'm so glad you kept our appointment, Mrs. Spade. I'm so frightened. I've been upset all week long. I didn't know what to do. I just didn't. And what have you been so upset about, Mr. Swan? Well, lately, Mr. Spade, infrequently, for the last week, I've noticed a man. I think he's following me. Mm-hmm. At first, I'd see him in a car following my bus when I went downtown. Mm-hmm. Then he'd be waiting around at the bus stop in the evening when I came back. Oh. I've sold my house, and I'm ready to move. It's unnerved me so much, but... Did he follow you home tonight? No, no, but well, I... Well, would I... anyone be following you, Mr. Swan? Well, I, I... I don't know, Mr. Spade. I don't know. I really don't. All right, I'll try another tack. What does this man look like? He always wears dark clothes and a hat. I'd say he was about your height. Six feet. I remember. Maybe heavier. Same bone structure, though. Yeah. You haven't been to the police. Oh, dear, no. A man in my business can't afford off-color publicity. No? What kind of business is that? The Bonton Mortuary. Oh. 25 years. Same location. (laughs) Oh, and I've worked hard. So very hard. (laughs) And if there's something behind all this, something that has stopped me from being made the executive secretary of the Undertaker's Breakfast Club when they hold their annual election next month, I don't know what I'll do, Mr. Spade. Mm. I just don't really know what I'll do. I just don't. I... Oh, go ahead, Mr. Swan. You'll feel better. Just let it all out. Just really do. <laughs> and he did. When he stopped crying, I instructed him to go about his daily habits as always and left, assuring him I'd get to the bottom of it all. I walked down to the corner ostentatiously, which is a neat trick well calculated to throw nefarious observers off the track and lull them into false security. And when the bus showed up ten minutes later, I got on it, rode three blocks, walked back, and took a plant across the street. A clever ruse, as you see, to invite a showdown. Two hours later, a man about my size and dark clothes appeared over the hill and crept stealthily to the front of my client's cottage. He had his eyes glued to the window when I walked up behind him. Hey, let go, let go of me. Come on, you're going inside. Listen, I'm no peeping Tom. No, no, you're the bloodhound type. I'm inviting you in for a real sniff at Oh, your no, party. you don't. I... Well, all right, then. I'll go quietly. No, okay, that's better. Now, we'll just walk on. The kick he landed on me wasn't according to Queensberry. I couldn't move for three or four minutes, and by that time, he disappeared. When I recovered my faculties, I reported the incident to my client, who cried himself to sleep. 
After I bolted him in for the night, I stopped on my way down the hill at apartment 420 in the little green apartment house. She was still wearing the blue jeans and the purple smock, and she still had the same ideas. Come in, Sam. You said you were serious about getting away from it all, and a whole day has passed. It was that pressure of living. I'm, I'm here to apologize. Mm, you are not, but go ahead. I'm sorry, Angel. I love to be fooled, Sam. You're forgiven. Now, how's the painting coming? The, the one of Swan's Cottage. Slow. Fog is always tough. Looks nice, though. How long have you been on it? Three weeks, all told. Well, then you've had a pretty good plant on the house, haven't you? Ever notice a tall, broad-shouldered guy in a dark suit casing the place? Tall, broad-shouldered? Pretty much like me. Could anybody be pretty much like you, Sam? No, you're right. Sam, is there something wrong? No, no. Well, then don't stand there doing nothing. Do something. Who, me? Amy fixed me a small dinner which had a strong turpentine taste to it. And then we mixed oils and painted and made fudge. Next afternoon at the Hall of Records, I did a little spade work on Chester Swan. His application and permit to practice undertaking in the city of San Francisco were dated 1938. Details, unmarried, 52 years of age. Graduated from mortician school in Ohio. Listed one living relative, nephew, Theodore J. Swan, Toledo, Ohio. I was gathering the above information when I smelled whiskey over my shoulder, which is always good luck. It was Al Torrington, who was also in the private investigation racket in this city, and he was leaning, peering from my face to the card that I held in my hand. Uh, he yeah. get over to you too, Sam? Who got over to me, Al? Him, that thinny with the tears. What's his name? Um, uh, you know, my eyes ain't so good. Swan, Al. Chester Swan. Mortician. Yeah, yeah, that's him, Sam. The same one exactly. Came to my office two weeks complaining about somebody following him. And he did... Nothing about it. Said I was too fat. Oh, well, you are, Al. Are you sure? Sure, I'm sure. And some other, the boy said he was around there, too. Wanted a private eye, but he wanted a man who looked just right. How right? <laughs> Obviously as right as you are, Sam, because it looks like he picked you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes, F, it did look like he picked me. And I thought that over, and I didn't like it. And I called my client at home to tell him he was fired, but he didn't give me a chance. Oh, dear, I'm so glad you called, Mr. Spade. I really am. I call for a reason, Mr. Swan. I'm resigning this case. Oh, dear, Mr. Spade, you can't do that. You really can't. I don't think you've been quite honest with me, Mr. Swan. Oh, dear. Tears I... will get you nowhere. I made a routine check on your reasons for hiring me, and they don't quite fit with the reasons you gave. They really just don't quite, Mr. Swan. It's no game, Mr. Spade. Believe me, he... he's back tonight. Right now, he's standing beneath the lamppost outside my window, and I'm frightened to death. Mm. Uh, please hurry over, Mr. Spade, and let's get this business straightened out. Please, please. And stupid, stupid me, I went over. And I found that little white cottage on the hill looking grim and gaunt in the heavy fog. Amy's words about it being crushed with barrenness, full of brooding and death, came back to me. And Mr. Swan's frightened words about a mysterious man in dark clothes waiting beneath the streetlight also came back to me, particularly when I noted there was no streetlight near the house. However, there was a light somewhere in the rear of the house, and the front door was ajar. Uh, Mr. Swan! Mr. Swan, are you here? Oh, Mr. Swan, it's me, Sam Spade. Are you here? Mr. Spade? Is that you? 
Are you out there? Where are you? Things happened fast. I turned around to find the front door filled with a man in a dark suit. He had something in his hand. It looked like a roll of cotton candy, but it felt different. It only staggered me against the wall, but it made me forget where my arms were. Easy, Spade. Easy does it, boy. Easy. He let me down to the floor gently. I could still see the lights somewhere in the back of the house, and I could hear him talking way off. Take off his coat. Quick, I quick. Can't. Give me the needle. I, no. Hurry. I, Hurry. I can't watch. I, I'm going upstairs. The needle went somewhere in my left arm, but not before somebody pulled my coat off, and for no reason I could think of at the moment, also tried to pull my finger off. Well, I couldn't dwell on it. By that time, the stuff in my arm was going other places, and I was going with it, even though there was action all around me. This ought to do it! No, no, stay away from me! Get out of here! Vaguely, somewhere, somebody was shooting Roman candles or having bow-outs or playing bebop. I just didn't care at all. I just didn't. first thing I saw was sunlight. It was the kind you see in a picture. It was a picture of a little white cottage with green shutters. You guessed it. I was in Amy's apartment where we made fudge together. I got to my feet somehow. Right here, I've had a for two days. We'll have to figure out the best thing to do with him. I knew the best thing to do with me. There was a fire escape and a window. I got out there and I weaved against the wall. What do you mean he's gone? He couldn't have gotten away with that load he was carrying. I don't know. I don't know. He was unconscious when I left. Well, don't just stand there. We've got to do something. There might be trouble. Now, let's get to it. I didn't wait to find out what they were going to do. I made my way down the fire escape and started walking for the street. And and that's when I noticed my shoes didn't fit me anymore. They weren't mine. And neither was the gray flannel suit with the label marked Tidkeys. Neither was the blue shirt. While I was at it, the ring on my finger engraved Emerson High 1936 wasn't mine either. My new belt buckle had a big letter T on it, which is not my initial. It really isn't. And I didn't have any use for the eyeglasses in my coat pocket either. You were out when I walked in the office, F, but you'd been there. There was a black crepe done up in a white satin ribbon hanging on the door. The desk blotter was drenched with salt tears. And a newspaper folded back to page 13, and I'll sue the Chronicle on this if it's the last thing I do, gave me a two-inch spread. Item, November 15th, 1950. 15th? What happened to the 13th and the 14th? Detective perishes in Berkeley fire. I read it through once. Then twice. It was my obituary. You are listening to the first in a new series of adventures involving radio's most famous detective, Sam Spade. And now back to Caper Over My Dead Body. Tonight's adventure with Sam Spade. I left the crepe on the door and went out to buy a new desk blotter and some more newspapers. The Hobo News had the best story, which wasn't much. Samuel Spade, licensed private investigator, perished Wednesday night in a fire in a vacant house in Berkeley. 
His warm friends will feel regret at the passing of a man who was always kind to the poor. None of us ever asked Sam Spade for a handout without receiving a kind word and bon mot as he turned us down. This was nice, but I wanted more. Figured I was fairly safe to wander about unrecognized. My ill-fitting attire acquired from my unknown benefactor would be disguised enough when combined with my two-day beard. Engine Company 16, Berkeley Division, had handled the fire, and half a block away was a grog shop called The Shamrock. I waited for a fireman to come in. Bartender. Bartender! What kind of a place are you running now? I've been here five minutes already. All right, shut up, Patty. You just arrived. Well, it seemed like five minutes. A a wee bit more there, if you Uh, don't mind. That's enough for you, Patty. You're still on duty. I am not. I'm off now. The chief said I could be off. It says every day I receive such a shock to me system. You received your shock three days ago. And I'm still shaking, man. <coughs> oh, the sight of him was terrible, terrible. Burnt as black as the good saint's beard. All twisted and horrible in death. He was probably dead drunk and didn't know what happened to him. And were you there fighting the flames and finding him like me? Hmm? Oh, it was terrible, terrible, terrible. <coughs> terrible. It wasn't that bad, and you've had your limit. And who says so? I say so. Oh, you do, do you? And who are you? Your brother-in-law. Well, now. Well, maybe I can spot you one, Pat. I never drink with strangers. What's your name? Uh, O'Doolan. Well, you heard the man. Go ahead, pour. <laughs> Cheers. Yeah. <coughs> hey, Fireman, you had a terrible experience three days ago. Oh, that I did, Mr. O'Doolan. That I did indeed, that I did. I've heard it a dozen times. I'll be at the other it was end three of the nights fire. ago, Mr. O'Doolan, and we get a call to the house on Claremont is a fire. Well, sir, when we get there, it's about all gone. Can't understand why it went up flames so fast. Wood. It was the funeral fire of a man who lived in sin. Huh? A detective fellow. Sam Spade, he was identified as. Oui. Oh, one moment, fireman. I've heard fine things about him. Ah, some of those uppity police fellows from the Division of Homicide said he was a nice fellow. But some of the boys at the fire station and myself, well, we got our own ideas about that. What kind of ideas, Patty, me boy? What kind of good can any man be accomplishing in an empty house late at night, I ask you, Mr. O'Doolan? Mm-hmm. Oh, he was done to attorney was when I burst in the door with me axe. Save Satan the trouble. Charge. Empty whiskey bottles scattered all about. Sin, O'Doolan, sin. He'd gone to sleep with a smoke and cigarette that set the whole place off. Vice rampant. From there, I went downtown to a telegraph office where I sent a wire to Toledo on a long chance. And while I was waiting for an answer on a not-so-long chance, I slunk into the Bon Ton funeral parlor to pay my respects to the departed. I stood in the back of that dimly lit chapel and scanned the scene. Three of the boys from Homicide were there, blowing their noses. Two chorus girls I thought had long since forgotten me were there in black, deep V-necks. My insurance man was there, looking awful worried. One chronicle reporter with photographer, and a shoeshine boy from our building, and the bailiff from the courthouse, just to mention a few I could make out. And you were there, Effie, up front near a closed casket. I made out a bar of flowers from robbery detail. It said... Goodbye, Sam. Maxie from the city morgue was the only one who looked at ease. 
<laughs> All right. Does anyone wish to uh, you, miss? Many called him shaman, but I called him friend. Uh. On this, his last caper. I was touched, Effie, and I would have stopped the whole thing then and there, but I had to find out who was in that casket. I reeled out the front door with tears in my eyes and slid around to the back door and into Chester Swan's private office. And there I made a phone call and got an answer to my telegram, which caused me to make another call to his bank. By that time, most of it was right in place. A search through his desk revealed nothing and a safe standing in the corner the same. But then my answer walked right in the door. Sam, darling, I was so worried when I found you'd left, but I saw you at the funeral and I thought you'd be here. And the guy was with you? Was he worried, too? Oh, him, him. That was Dr. Jesslin. Sam, you'd been out for two days and I didn't... Oh, Sam, you're safe. You got away from it all. You've escaped, darling. Yeah, yeah. They're burying me right now. I'm dead. It's so wonderful, Sam. Only one thing. Where do you fit? Hmm? The caper. I was supposed to burn up in that fire, and what was left was supposed to look enough like Theodore J. Swan, class of 1936 Toledo, Ohio, to let beneficiary Chester Swan collect a nice pile of insurance money. Sam, what are you talking about? Who's Theodore J.? What did you say? Chester's only living relative. They're burying him right now. Somebody lost his caper. You want to tell me? Darling, I was at the house the night of the fire, working on my foggy picture. You didn't see me when you went in, and later on you didn't come out. And I went over... And I was on the floor, and a man was bending over me. He changed clothes with you, Sam, and I screamed, and he pulled out a gun, and I hit him with a hoe. And I drug you out on the lawn. And then what happened? I I put put you in my car and took you home. I I was going to phone the police, but I decided it was something you were working on, and I went back to the house, and it... And it, it was burning, and you knew the man you'd hit on the head was in there. Believe me, Sam, I didn't know the house was going to burn down. I wouldn't kill anybody, Sam. I only wanted to... You only wanted to help me, and you did right, Angel. Oh, Sam. That's all right. I'm your witness. You didn't start the fire. You mean somebody really started it? Chester. He thought it was me lying on the floor in there. The bank tells me he's about to go busted. He figured this one out with his nephew to scare up some insurance, though. I'm about the same Hold size. Hold me, and... Sam. Hold me. It's been horrible. This is the kind of thing I was trying to paint. Now I'm smack dab up against it and I'm sick. I'm scared. Easy, easy. Sam, you're really dead. There's our way out, Sam. Just leave oh. now. Let it go the way it is. They all think you're dead. Oh, dear. Huh? But we know different, don't we, Mr. Spade? He was holding a Navy Colt revolver in front of him with both hands. I couldn't make up my mind to rush him and count on his bad aim or stand still and be a perfect target while I tried to talk him out of it. Either way, he was a crazy man with a gun. He was getting ready to use it. Sam, he's going to kill us. Mr. Quiet, Spade. Amy. Because my nephew was stupid enough to wear your watch and your suit when he exchanged clothes with you, I'm going to lose the bonton. And that puts you in quite a spot, doesn't it, Mr. Swan? Until a moment ago, yes, but now. Mr. Spade, the newspapers all say you're dead. A death certificate says the same thing. All of your friends are following your casket and my nephew's corpse to the cemetery at this very moment. Everybody expects you to be dead, Mr. Spade. Thanks to you, Mr. Swan. But now, nobody'd miss you if, if I killed you. I'd miss you, Sam. But I'd have to kill you, too. Oh. Did you notice you're still wearing Theodore's clothes, even his ring? Why, Mr. Spade, I, 
I could kill you and put you in a fire somewhere and collect my insurance on Theodore now, couldn't I? No. Why, that's a terrible thing to think. Huh? Oh, you're not reasoning properly, Chester. You really aren't. How would you explain Amy? You just said you'd have to kill her. And what about the coroner's office? You know how they are. But if I... But and really... don't forget the medical examiner's got something to say, too. Not to mention but... the fact that you'd have to really burn me up to cover up the bullet hole. I... And furthermore, Chester, when you shoot me, oh. if you happen to hit a rib and chip off some bone, they'd no, know I... I was shot before, and then homicide would be in on it. Oh, no, stop, then... stop, stop. Nothing works for me. I'm a failure. Oh, go ahead, Mr. Swan. Let it all out. You'll feel bad. <laughs> And he did. And he's still crying in his cell downtown. Period. End of report. Oh, Sam, you were so brave. You actually stood there and talked that crazy man out of, out of murdering you. You were wonderful. True, Effie. Amy thinks so, too. She's uh, going to do me in oils when they let her out of the pokey. Amy's in jail? What for, Sam? Oh, technical charge of an involuntary manslaughter. They'll spring her as soon as the coroner's inquest is completed. Dear Amy. Did she make good fudge, Sam? Fudge? Oh, that was the least of it. Oh? What do you mean? After the fudge. What the... Panucci. Oh, boy, oh, boy. Say, go type that up, sweetheart, while I see if there's any mention of my miraculous resuscitation on the radio page. <laughs> go, go. Scoot, scoot. Good. I will sign it, and you will keep it always to remind you that I'm still here. Oh, Sam. Living, breathing, brave, and handsome. A paragon. Mm. Sam, what will we do about the mail? The mail? What mail? Where? Which... All the letters and postcards and telegrams and all that came in when people thought you... Oh, where were we? You weren't good... When they thought you were... Oh, there have been enough tears tonight. Ellie. Oh, Sam, it's so good to have you back. Will you be the same as you always were? Well, I'm going to try it. Well, because then you can't help but be, like they say, the greatest... Private detective of them all. We'll see. Good night, Sam. Good night, sweetheart. The Adventures of Sam Spade are produced, edited, and directed by William Spear. Sam Spade was played by Stephen Dunn. Lorene Tuttle is Effie. Script for tonight's adventure by E. Jack Newman. Musical scoring by Lud Gluskin, conducted by Frank Worth. Join us again next week, same time, for another Adventure with Sam Spade. Here, the magnificent Montague... Then visit Duffy's Tavern on NBC. Stay tuned for Abbott and Costello next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Bud Abbott and Lou Costello and the episode Napoleon and Josephine. Costello program starring Bud Abbott and Lou Costello brought to you by Camel, the cigarette of costlier, properly aged tobaccos. The Abbott and Costello program with the music of Carl Hoff and his orchestra, our singing star Amy Arnell.
And spotlighting that chunky, chubby little cherub who, when caught putting a ladder against the roof because he heard his Uncle Artie Stebbins say he was going to have one on the house, calmly said, I'm a bad boy! Costello, Costello, what are you doing... What are you doing dressed up like Napoleon Bonaparte? Well, you see, Abbott Universal Studios are going to make a picture called Napoleon and Josephine. Yes. And I'm going to play Napoleon. There's only one thing that stands in my way. What's that? Charles Boyer. Costello, uh, <laughs> are you classing yourself with Charles Boyer? What's Boyer got that I haven't got five times as much as? <laughs> You've certainly got a lot of nerve, Costello, comparing yourself with Charles Boyer. Yeah. Do you realize that he won an Oscar for his performance in Gaslight? I was in that picture. Uh, wait a minute. I saw Gaslight. I didn't see you in it. I turned on the gas. I... <laughs> Never mind that. How can you compare yourself with Boyer? He's got charm. I got charm. Ah, he dresses like a fashion plate. I can dress like a fashion plate. And boy, he has sex appeal. I can dress like a fashion plate. <laughs> I should have quit when I was even. But Costello tells boy, he can make women swoon mm. by just lowering his eyelids. They call him uh, droopy eyes. It's the same thing with me. Women call you droopy eyes? No, saggy britches. Costello, this is ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. The picture Napoleon and Josephine calls for a great lover. Uh, for instance, like me. Like you? Uh, certainly. Why, women all fall all over me. Women fall all over you? All over the me. The dames you go out with are too old to stand up. Oh, yeah. Be serious. Be serious, Costello. Why, in my day as a dramatic actor, hmm. women threw flowers at my feet. They threw jewelry at my feet. They even threw themselves at my feet. Ah, what has your feet got that you haven't got? Uh, I bet you. Will you cut that out, please? The role of Napoleon calls for an experienced actor. Oh, that's me, Abbott. When I was three years old, I used to put on plays in our garage, and I'd charge two pins a mission. And when the show was over, I'd give the pins back. Give the pins back? What for? So the audience wouldn't lose their rumpers on the way home. <laughs> but, Costello, please, I know. I know you're a little teeny Costello, please listen to me. In order to play the part of Napoleon, you have to have an education. Now, where did you get your education? At the corner of Hollywood and Vine. Uh, you can't... No, 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 no. You can't learn anything at the corner of Hollywood and Vine. You can on a windy day. Costello, please. Go take the, that Napoleon costume off and forget it. You don't even look like Napoleon. Oh, yes, I do, Abbott. Look, I got my hair all slicked down and shiny. What kind of oil is that you've got on your hair? It's a new kind of oil. I got it out of a little tin can. There's only one thing wrong with it. What's that? I don't know what to do with all those little sardines. <laughs> oh, wash that sardine oil off your hair. You, you have a bunch of cats following you. Oh, I don't mind cats. I even know a woman who lives with cats. Who? Mrs. Katz. Cat <laughs> Hello, that's a no joke. Ah, Mr. Katz is an old man. I should have quit when I was even. Now, look, I refuse to discuss this any longer, Costello. Napoleon was a romantic figure. Yeah. He had a lot of women in his life. Have you ever been out with the opposite sex? No, but it wasn't my fault. It wasn't your fault? No, my mother wouldn't tell me which was the opposite sex. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Will you please talk sense, Costello? I'm just... Listen to me, please. 
I'm just going to see how you would play a love scene with a girl. Now, let's pretend that I'm the first girl you ever met in your life. I just... sure start out with a dog, don't I? No, no, no. <laughs> Forget how I look. Just, just say to yourself that I'm a beautiful girl. Well, come I on. I couldn't be that sort, sort of... All right. <laughs> Boy, those Dr. Cowan's get you, don't Oh, they? they certainly do. Well, just remember that old adage, beauty is only skin deep. Well, go out and skin yourself and come back in. There you go, Costell. I try to help you and you haven't got the intelligence to appreciate it. You haven't got the brain of a two-year-old child. Yeah, but look at the difference in our ages. All right, all right. But I'm going to give you one more chance. Now, I'm your girlfriend, Gladys. I'm sitting in the parlor by the fire reading a book. What are you reading? Uh, Forever Amber. What do you want with a fire? <laughs> yes, never mind. Please. I'm sitting there waiting for you to knock on the front door. Well, here I am, darling. Wait a minute. You didn't knock on the front door. I sneaked in the back door. I used to be a nice man. I, look, wait. Well, all right. Now, now you're in. Now, uh, sit, down, sit down here. Sit down here by me on the sofa. Now, okay. Don't, don't sit way over there. Move closer. I, I'm your girlfriend, remember? Mm-hmm. Move closer. How's this? Oh, no, 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 no. A little closer. Uh, closer. Closer. Costello. How do you like that? I went right past her. <laughs> I told you you didn't know how to make love to a girl tonight. I'll have to show you how to make love. Now, you be the girl, and I'll come to call on you. Uh, what kind of a girl am I? Am I pretty? Oh, what difference does it make? I don't care if you're cross-eyed and bow-legged as long as you're a girl. Oh, you men are all alike. Oh. <laughs> all right, all right, Costello. You're a 23-year-old girl, and you're, you're lying on the floor playing with your dogs. How do you like that? A girl, 23 years old, playing with her feet. Look, <laughs> Costello, please, I'll show you how to make love to a girl. Remember, you're the girl now, and, and I'm coming to call on you. Now, here I come. Costello, why don't you answer the door? I'm just showing you I'm hard to get. <laughs> I'm not going to open it up the Never first mind, time. Never mind, I'm coming. I'm coming in anyway. <laughs> what are you screaming for? I'm taking a bath, you. You're, you're taking a bath? <laughs> you're taking a bath? Yes, I just finished my dinner. What's finishing your dinner got to do with you being in the bathtub? I'm taking a bath and washing the dishes at the same time. <laughs> I give up, I'm through. Oh, no, Abbott, don't give up. Please give me another chance. Oh, all right. Now, here I come again to call on you. Now, I told you that I was going to teach you how to make love to, uh, to a girl. This time, I'm going through with it. Now, come into my arms. No, Abbott, no. Costello. I won't, no. Stop pushing me. Do you hear? <laughs> oh, Costello, you fool. Why did you push me out of the window? I had to, Abbott. I thought I heard my husband coming. <laughs> And here's Carl Hoff and the Camel Orchestra with a great new arrangement, You've Got Me Crying Again.
Costello, where have you been? Uh, I was out of Universal Studios, Abbott, and they tested me for the part of Napoleon. Am I happy? You should have seen the way they fixed me up. They put on Max Factor Pancake, Max Factor Cleansing Cream, and Max Factor Face Powder. How did you look? Like Max Factor? <laughs> Never mind that. How did they make you look like Napoleon? Your, your nose is, uh, is too stubby. That's easy, Abbott. They taped up my nose. They taped up your nose? Yeah. How did you smell? Not bad. Right. <laughs> hey, you know I'm a sissy get the part of Napoleon? Hello, Luke Costello speaking. Just a moment, Mr. Costello. The president of Universal wants to speak to you. I told you, Abbott, this is it. Here's your party, Mr. Bloomberg. Hello, Costello. Yes, Mr. Bloomberg. Costello, you were out here this morning testing for the part of Napoleon. Yes, I was. Well, I want you to get out here to the studio right away. For the part? No, you left your hat here. <laughs> <laughs> How do you like that, Abbott? They turned me down. They can't do that to me, the great Shakespearean actor. Why, I played Romeo and Juliet all last year at the Hippodrome Theater in New York. I had dope. The Hippodrome Theater has been closed for five years. It has? No wonder I didn't get any applause. <laughs> Abbott, lots of my fans would like to see me play Napoleon. Oh, why don't you stop this, Costello? I'll prove it to you, Abbott. Let's go out and take a poll from door to door. Come on. Hey. Let's stop at this house. My old girlfriend, Tessie Tinfoil. She lives here. Oh, men, come in. <laughs> Tessie, Tessie, you don't look so good today. I don't feel so good. I bought eight bottles of leg makeup, and I'm having a terrible time. What seems to be the trouble? How many bottles do you have to drink before the stuff goes to your legs? <laughs> Look, Tessie, I'm making a house-to-house poll How would you like to see me on a screen as Napoleon? Oh, I think you'd be marvelous, lover boy <laughs> Maybe I could play your leading lady, Josephine No, I'm afraid not, Tessie In the first place, you're too fat And to come to think of it, you're too fat in the second place, too <laughs> Well, don't, don't be discouraged, Costello Hey, Mr. Costello, will you give me your autograph? Why, certainly, little boy Here Hey, Ma, I win the lollipop. I told you that jerk could ride. Come here, Costello. Get away from that kid. Down here. Let's try this next door. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> you're all right, ain't you? I'm Luke Costello. How would you like to see me on a screen as Napoleon? Oh, that would be dandy. You are my favorite star, Mr. Costello. I think you're the finest actor in pictures. I think you're the funniest man on the radio. Thank you. I have an autographed picture of you that I would like to hang up in my room, but I can't. Why can't you hang it up? Well, I can't find a nail long enough to go through the padding on my cell. <laughs> <laughs> Costello, you see? Wise guy, do you realize that the only people who love you are dumbbells? Thank you, Abbott. How do you think you can? Right. Here, here, careful. Uh, pardon me, Mr. Costello. Could I have your autograph? I just gave you my autograph a few minutes ago. I know, but you wrote it on the same page with Charles Lawton. So what? His autograph held its nose and kicked yours off the page. Get out of here. Get out of here. Costello, leave that kid alone. Can you leave him alone? Who's writing for you? Now, wait a minute. Just a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Leave those children alone. Hey, look, Costello, here comes your old friend, Scotty Brown. A hoot run, laddie. Scotty, what have you got under your arm? Well, it's a book of ghost stories. Uh, my wife just had a new baby. Uh, what has ghost stories got to do with a new baby? Well, I read my wife the ghost stories, and her teeth chatter so loud, I don't need a rattle for the baby. <laughs> 
Look, Scotty, how would you like to see me on a screen as Napoleon? I would not be interested, laddie. I do not go to theaters anymore. Why not, Scotty? Well, I used to live 12 blocks from a theater, but now we've moved two blocks further away. Well, what's, what's that got to do with it? Well, I don't finish dinner until five minutes to six, and now, no matter how fast I run, I can't get there before the prices change. So long, <laughs> Oh, come on, Costello. Let's try another house. Uh, pardon me, Mr. Costello. Could I have your autograph? Now, wait a minute, kid. I've given you my autograph three times. What are you doing with my autograph? Well, if I get three more of yours, I can trade it for one of Trigger's footprints. Oh, yeah? <laughs> Ouch! Costello, what did you do? I just gave him one of my footprints. <laughs> oh, forget him. Come on. Oh, I'm back with a little beaver now. Never mind that. Let's, let's try this door over here. Come on. Oh, hello, Mr. Rabbit. Oh, you dear man. Don't tell me you're selling washing machines. Oh, pardon me, that tub is Costello. <laughs> you better close that door quick, Mrs. Niles. You're liable to get arrested for indecent exposure. Indecent exposure? Yes, ma'am. You're out here in broad daylight with your face showing. <laughs> I heard that remark, Costello. What do you mean by insulting my wife that way? Because I don't know any other way. <laughs> now, tell me, Ken. Was Mrs. Niles just as homely the day you proposed to her? Well, I don't know. She was catching for the Brooklyn Dodgers and had her mask on. I... <laughs> One more remark like that and I'll cut the string on your yo-yo. I, uh... <laughs> please, please, folks, please, let's stop arguing. Costello, uh, Costello came here to ask you if you'd like to see him on the screen as Napoleon. I'd rather see him with Napoleon. <laughs> Napoleon is dead. You catch on fast, fat boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, darling, you certainly told Costello off that time. Oh, you're so wonderful. You fill the breeze with a heavenly perfume. Oh, no, dear. You're the one that fills the breeze with heavenly perfume. Oh, no, dear. I insist you fill the breeze with heavenly perfume. Oh, no, dear. I insist you fill the breeze with heavenly perfume. <laughs> Run for cover, folks. We caught a couple of skunks in our traps. <laughs> Popular request, Camel's lovely Amy Arnell sings. Give me a little kiss, will ya ha? What are you gonna miss, will ya ha? Gosh, oh gee, why do you refuse? I can't see what you got to lose. Oh, give me a little squeeze, will ya ha? Why do you wanna make me blue? Say a word if I were asking for the world. What's a little kiss between a fella and his girl? Give me a little kiss, will ya, huh? And I'll give it right back to you. Please be nice. Once or twice. Once again, a plea I'm gonna make Tell me when do I get a break Hold me tight, anything you ask I'll do I'll take you for a little ride where we can be alone 
And once you kiss me, you will never think of walking home. Give me a little kiss, will ya, huh? And I'll give it right back to you. Costello, you'll never convince Universal Studios that you can play the part of Napoleon. Yes, I will. No, you won't. Ladies and gentlemen of our studio audience, I'm about to put on a play in which I will star in the role of Napoleon. No, no, not that. We're not going to sit through that. Oh, what a lousy actor. Open the doors, Lydia. Hey, Costello, look. Look, it's Millenhead down there in the audience. Now, just a minute, Millenhead. I dare you to come up here on the stage. All right, I'll come up there on the stage. Yeah, well, come on up here. All right, wise guy. Now I'm up on the stage. Well, now that you're up here on the stage, I dare you to come over here and put your hand on my shoulder. All right, I'll put my hand on your shoulder. There. Now I've got my hand on your shoulder. Now what? Let's dance. Oh, no. <laughs> Let's tell a lot. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> Melonhead is right about your acting, Costello, and he knows. He's a producer at Universal. Producer, Abbott? I'll have you know that I was head producer. And look at that head. You produced. Ah. <laughs> there we go. There we go. There you go with those insulting remarks again, Costello. You, you get in my hair. Okay, but I'll have to wear my sneakers. It looks awful slippery up there. Costello, now... Maybe if you talk nice to Melonhead, he'd direct your play for you. Melonhead, could you make another child's boyer out of me? Costello, I could not only make a child's boyer out of you, but I'd have enough fat left over to make a case of life boyer. <laughs> All right, now to the play. Costello, you will play Napoleon. Abbott here will be your friend Talleyrand, and Mrs. Niles here, she'll play your wife, Josephine. Ah, why does Mrs. Niles always have to play my wife? Why can't I have a young girl like Ingrid Bergman? Costello, I've got everything that Ingrid Bergman has. Yeah, but why do you let yours get so shabby? <laughs> Enough of this. Enough of this, Costello. Let's get on with the play. Mr. Niles, will you please set the scene? Ladies and gentlemen, we present a stirring French drama entitled How Napoleon Lost the Battle of Waterloo or Costello Gets Caught with His France Down. <laughs> We find Napoleon sitting in the throne room, waiting for his wife, Josephine, to enter. Good morning, Your Majesty. Ah, oh, come in, Josephine. Bonjour, my bone, Josephine. Pull up a bone chair and have a box of bonbons. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Costello. Why do you put bone in front of everything? Because, says Napoleon, I want to give the bone a pot. Wow! always stand with your hand stuck inside your coat. That's where I hide my butter. Napoleon, <laughs> I have come to you for some money. I'm sorry, Josephine, but the royal coffers are in bad shape. The royal coffers are in bad shape? Yes, listen. <coughs> <laughs> that's enough, that's enough. Awkward. Don't overdo it. <coughs> that last course cost us $35 more. Napoleon, I tell you I need money. You've given away all my jewels to Madame Dewberry. Yesterday, you gave her my diamond tiara. What do you care about your tiara? You still have your boom, D.A. Ah. <laughs> but 
Josephine, here is something to replace the Fiera. It's a gift from America. It's called tobacco. And it was discovered in Shemokin, Pennsylvania. Shemokin? Shemokin, Pennsylvania? Yes, it's called Shemokin tobacco. <laughs> oh, I'm having trouble with my subjects. I can't do a thing with my subjects. Who are you, the king? No, just a high school student. <laughs> Your Majesty, Talleyrand has just come in. Good. I had two bucks on his nose. No. I mean, I mean... No, no, Costello. Look, Talleyrand isn't a horse. It's Abbott. Oh, a jackass. Yeah. All right, Costello. <laughs> Stick to the play. <clears throat> uh, Your Majesty, I bring great tidings from the battlefield. Rome is about to fall. Let us drink a toast. Napoleon, you have been drinking too much lately. Drink uh, water. Uh, okay, water it is. Here's to victory. <laughs> What was that? Rome just fell. Oh, we must have a grand ball to celebrate our victory. Napoleon, you must wear the new powdered wig I bought you. I refuse to wear it again. Well, it's made out of hair from your horse's tail. No wonder it keeps swatting flies and knocking my hat off. <laughs> Madame Josephine, Madame Josephine, I have come to fix your hair. Wait a minute, who are you? Monsieur, I am a lady in waiting. Well, what are we waiting for? <laughs> Come on over here and kiss your poor old father. Costello, stick to your lines. I'd much rather stick to hers. <laughs> Get your hands off that girl or I'll have her sent to the guillotine. Yes, Your Majesty. You wouldn't want me if I lost my head. I don't know. There'll still be enough left to have a date with. <laughs> has just come in. Must have been scratched in the last race. <laughs> Talk sense, Costello. Uh, I bring you bad news from Russia. You, you must go to your troops at once. But remember, it's freezing cold in Russia. I will fix you a lunch. Would you like a nice hot dish? Yes. Yvonne, come here and kiss your poor old father. <laughs> Costello, do you realize that Universal Studios is listening to this play? I refuse to direct this play any longer unless everybody takes orders from me. Okay, Mullenhead, you give the order. Thanks, Costello. Yvonne, come here and kiss your poor old director. Get out, get out. Oh, come on, come on, come on. Come on, break this up. Costello is my only director. Yeah, Emma. Can you break this up, please? Now, let's get back to the play. Come on, Napoleon. Let us drink a toast to our coming victory in Russia. Ah, uh, uh, Napoleon, you must drink water, remember? Oh, darn it. I'll be glad when they exile me to that island. Then I can bend my elbow. <laughs> <laughs> Come, Napoleon, kiss Josephine goodbye. We must join your troops. Goodbye, fair Josephine. <laughs> Josephine, your nose is wet. You kissed your horse. I'm over here. <laughs> now, come over here and kiss me. I should have quit when I was even. <laughs> whoa, whoa. <laughs> hey, Ran, what is this village? Your Majesty, this is the village of Waterloo. Your troops are taking a terrible beating. Just listen. Is there anything I can do for you? Yes, get a larger cast. I'm sick and tired of the whole thing. Napoleon! <laughs> <laughs> I've come to ask your surrender. I am Wellington. You have been defeated. 
Very well, Wellington. Let us drink a toast to your victory. Remember, Napoleon, you can't drink liquor. But I'm not really Napoleon. I'm Lou Costello. Well, in that case, here's your water, Lou. Waterloo? Costello will be back for Camel Cigarettes in just a moment. And now, tonight's salute to the men in the armed forces who won through to victory. Tonight, we hail the 101st Screaming Eagle Airborne Division, heroes of the Normandy invasion and holders of the Distinguished Unit Citation for their heroic resistance to Rundstedt's winter offensive at Bastogne. Since the beginning of the war, the makers of camels have sent more than 150 million free camels to our fighting men overseas. But now, with demobilization in progress, free camels are sent to servicemen's hospitals instead. This week, the camels go to Veterans Hospital, Bedford, Massachusetts, U.S. Army Moore General Hospital, Swannanoa, North Carolina, U.S. Naval Hospital, Farragut, Idaho, U.S. Marine Hospital, Cleveland, Ohio, and Veterans Hospital, Amarillo, Texas, in your honor, men of the Screaming Eagle Division. Throughout to the United States twice a week are rebroadcast to practically every area in the world where our men are stationed and to our good neighbors in Central and South America. And now here, Bud and Lou, with a final word. Well, Napoleon, what have you got to say? Here I am, the great Napoleon, exiled to the island of Elba. All my friends have deserted me. Here I am all alone. Nobody loves me. <laughs> I love you. Who was that? Look up here in this tree. Oh, an old monkey. Yes. Come here, Costello. What do you want? Come here and kiss your poor old father. Good night, folks. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Good night. Next week for another great Abbott and Costello show brought to you by Camel Cigarettes. And remember, try camels in your tea zone. See if they don't suit your taste, your throat, to a tea. C-A-M-E-L-S. Be sure to listen at this very same time next week for another Abbott and Costello show for Camel Cigarettes. Thursday night is All-Star Night on NBC. Stay around now for Rudy Valley over most of these stations. This is Ken Niles in Hollywood wishing you all a pleasant good night for Camels. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Suspense, followed by My Favorite Husband. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.